Welcome to the Human Design Collective Podcast, where we explore this system as a unique map of our potential, from the mundane to the mystical. Today we speak with Chitanya, who runs the Chitanya FX Human Design Facebook page, one of the most active on social media. If you take a look, you'll likely learn more about design, see a lot of commentary, and find yourself laughing out loud. We were so curious about the man behind the page and excited to bring his voice to you in today's episode, where we discuss experimenting with the system, emotionality, being a projector, and what happens when we become overly identified with the map. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome to the podcast, Chaitanya. It's great to have you here. I guess we've talked a couple times, but this is our first time to actually talk voice and you've been a little bit of a mystery man on social media. And I know you mostly because of your Facebook page and the activity there, the wonderful memes, the human design postings, it injects a, I think a much needed humor into the collective or into that medium that is for me, it's, it's very refreshing. I guess I'd like to start by just asking, how did you come to human design? What's your experience been with it to date? So how did I come into it? Mm-hmm. Well, I came into it when someone, a friend of mine, uh, sent me an audio lecture of the experiential way. I remember it was like six files or something, and I didn't know who it was. So I listened to it, and I'm listening to it. And about halfway through, I'm like, man, this guy really knows. And the reason is... Right before that, I was, I've been really studying up on Joseph Campbell and, you know, Hero's Journey and all of this. So this came right after that. So it was like, oh, my God, you know, this is just like the Hero's Journey and you have the left-handed path and all that. And so it just made sense. And I didn't even know it was Ra, Uruhu, or who, even who it was. So I listened to it. I said, hey, do you have any more? And then he sent me another audio clip. And I listened to that. And then I was sort of curious, okay, where do you get this stuff? <laughs> so then I started searching and all of this and got some books and started reading. And I didn't get a reading, the chart reading till about probably at least a year, maybe two years after I got into human design. Hmm. You know, then I started do, reading my own chart, you know, from books. I think I got, I had one of the first books was um, Chirton's book. Yeah. That was um, how to break down the chart, you know, all the centers and everything. I looked at that. And then, you know, a couple of years later, I got, you know, I got a couple of readings and, you know, I was fully on after that. (laughs) So that's how I ran into it through through those audios. It sounds like there was a lot of self-education as part of your process of study, looking at charts and talking with other people, observing. Is, Is that kind of how it was for you in terms of just really going deeper into the knowledge? Well, I, you know, I never really talked to a lot of people <laughs> and it's always been sort of a silent project. And even before that, I, you know, we were in a local ashram here and which was really a great experience because we, it wasn't just to do the ashram stuff, but we studied pretty much everything esoteric there, you know, the uh, old masters and gurus and what they were talking about. And the, the main teacher there was also really well educated. So it was a very good basing for me. And on the backs of that, I came into human design. And I also have an astro background, Mm. you know, that goes way years back. 
So when all of this came together, it was just a natural. It's like, oh yeah, I have to look at this. And it just rang true. <laughs> so that's how it got started. And I really didn't start talking to anyone. I, I normally don't really talk about research. So this, it was like research at first. So I'm going through because I had to prove it to myself, right? It's always been that way. So I was going, I was, first I was just looking for holes, you know, what, what's this guy talking about? <laughs> so that's why it took a couple of years even to find an analyst to go and, you know, find somebody to get, get a reading. So that's about, it's about right after that, that I got on Facebook, you know, just to look for a community because there was nobody, no one here and I didn't know anyone. And I just wanted to see if there was a presence and then found these little groups and that's how it all got started. The social media Facebook element is something that I wanted to, to ask you about. With a page like yours, with the amount of activity and then just the amount of exchange that's, that's happening on Facebook around human design now, what does that look like? What are you seeing out there on Facebook from your point of view? I know a lot of the, the stuff that's posted is um, human design related in these memes. And I'm, I'm kind of curious, are you creating these memes? And then with your interactions, you know, what's the landscape look like on social media in terms of human design and your perspective? Well, I think it's our gathering space, right? It's like the human design nation <laughs> because we don't really have, we're all over the place, all fragmented, all walks of life, and there's no common ground. So I think, these groups give a good place to meet up and talk and exchange ideas and opinions and ask questions. Well, maybe in, in big cities like LA or New York, you can have group meetings, right? Meetups. But I think we don't have those kinds of numbers. I don't think even, mm -hmm. even yet. I mean, imagine on a platform like that, you can get a couple thousand people <laughs> on one page and just talk about pretty much anything human design and different life experiences and everyone's point of view. I think it's amazing. To me, it's like a buffet <laughs> of yeah. ideas, right? From different people, perspectives. Yeah, and as you're saying that, it's, it, it really does strike me as pretty incredible. It, it's almost like it, it, it goes hand in hand with maybe the technological aspects of this system. You, you need modern technology to run a chart, for example. You know, you need software and a program. And now we have this stage of human evolution. We, we have this ability to connect with people around the world and the globe and to have these type of exchanges and these groups come together. Just going back 20 years, none of that's really possible or it wouldn't be possible on the same scale seems like it may just be part of the evolution of the program and where we're heading, where we're going. I think so. And I think Ross saw that early on, you know, he was pretty big on Facebook and he thought it was a good way to reach people. And, and, and it is, I think it'll just unfold naturally, open access, right? free access, level playing field. <laughs> Everybody has equal say so. Yeah. I, I think that's the way to go. I'm not sure how it's going to evolve as long as people are willing to participate. Seems like a lot of new people go there just to get find out what's going on first. And then as you get grounded in it, first I, and you know, as you get grounded in it, then people tend to move away and go back into their own lives. You know, you don't see them too often. And I used to think, wow, it'd be nice to have sort of a old uh, group of people there that have been around for you know 20 years and just have a group of those as sort of the elders and be able to ask questions and but i don't think that's the way 
the social media platforms are sort of taking shape. It's really more for all the new people to come in, take a bite, find out what's going on, and then they go on their way. There's a big rotation, right? There's very few people that are that hang around for years. It's sort of a sort of watering hole, I think, you know, on their way. Yeah. Seems like it. So is it's interesting to think about the how much of an online exchange there can be and that it does seem like there are new groups coming online all the time on Facebook and like you said it does seem like the place where people go initially how's the experience for you in your personal life I'm curious about the just how human design has affected your your daily life maybe in in your offline experience Oh, offline. Well, it's... <laughs> is there offline um, anymore? I mean, not not in today's world, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, there is. There, there is. I mean, I'm really it's amazing because people think, ah, oh, you know, you just sit there post all day. It's really because I'm working. So I'm PRL DLR, right? So I need to be in a relaxed state all the time. Mm-hmm. And normally trading's hardly relaxing. It's like the most tense uh, uh, type of work you can do. It's like being an air traffic controller. So what what I do is I look at, do other things in between. I might play an online game. I might read a little bit. I might watch something. I might, and the memes you were asking about, you know, I make my own memes. Not all, I mean, the human design ones. Right. You know, there's a lot of them. Do I see something, you know, I'll save it and post it later. So I do a lot of different things to just stay relaxed and not get sort of hypnotized by the markets and charts because I do a lot of technical work and lines and you know graphs and this and that. So just to clear up the online part, it's just really started as something to relax and just defocus. Mm-hmm. And then I refocus, and I defocus, right? So that's how it got started. As far as offline, well, you know, it's great. <laughs> it's, uh, mm-hmm. How has human design impacted me? Well, gosh, it's changed everything. I mean, you know, that's a big topic. Do, do you want to ask me something specific? <laughs> because yeah. how has it affected me? Well, you know, it's affected practically everything, you know, from changing my PHS was a huge thing. And I did it probably two or three years in, into the um, experiment. So, you know, I stopped eating meals basically after dark, but then it eventually ended up after lunch. And now it's really around noon or two o'clock. I'm done for the whole day. Wow. And it's it's been amazing, right? Because I get up around 4.30 or 5 o'clock because I have to get ready for work. And you get up, you're sharp. So I just that, just the pH has been unbelievable. Mm. And and keeping healthy and fit and everything. So, so that part is very grounding. Other than that, mm, well, just to contrast, I would say I've been sort of lucky in the sense that, you know, just the, through the School of Hard Knocks, I figured out early on some of these things about invitations and waiting and also, you know, emotional decision-making, you know, over time, you know, it just came like, Hey, no, if I rush into this, this is what happens. I'm just going to lay back about waiting for invitation recognition. Those kind of came over time, like wait, you know, out of actually going to college and even a little bit after, you know, I got into sales and I had a business and advertising company and all of this. So I was in sales a lot so and studied psychology and all this stuff to help support, you know, basically running a business. So I picked up early on all of these little cues, being a projector probably. So by the time I sort of came into human design and, and I mean, I was reading and I'm like, oh my God, yeah, that's true. 
So he's validating a lot of things. But before, even though I knew it, I wasn't executing it 100% mm-hmm. efficiency, so to speak, right? It was just, you know, depends. But after I, you know, after you got it, it's like, oh, yeah, this is it. And that was it. <laughs> it's just been, it's been amazing since then. Because what happens is you get all this extra free, free time in your mind. Oh, I see. Because yeah. you don't have to think about so much. You don't have to think about anything at all. So the biggest change is that freedom, right? Freedom it gives you. You don't have to plan so much. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about how your personal life should unfold, not task-wise, you know, in your business or whatnot. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, you just sort of go with the flow. And so I would say the biggest change has been sort of that trust that comes in. Like, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't have to worry about anything. To me, boy, I tell you, I'm... I couldn't be any more thankful to Ra and, and the voice and everything else, <laughs> anything else that's around. Cause that's, you can't buy that. You know, there's no price tag on that. Yeah. You know, you can't earn it. It just, if you, the two meet together and you get it, you're lucky, right? That's it. There's no beating around that. And because you can't fake that either, right? You can't fake, you know, you might be able to fake kind of being spiritual and whatnot, being nice <laughs> and all of this stuff, but you really can't fake the internal, the inner peace because yeah. you have to live with that. You don't have, you can't control that. It's either there or it's not. Yes. And so I learned some of that during the ashram period. A lot of that is really forcing to be, be a certain way, trying to fit this category, right? Being spiritual or right. sort of like a, this predefined persona. So Ra basically handed it to you. That's this is how you do it, and it just happens. And then, gosh, you know, you can't be anything other than grateful. Yeah, Amy and I were actually just talking about that uh, a little little while earlier. I mean, just what a gift for for those who it resonates with, and it's the right time, place, or it clicks. Human design is just the biggest gift I think I've ever been given, and as a projector as well, just realizing what it meant to be a projector, really even in a general sense, before I got down into determination or PHS or anything like that, it was, that was a a huge wake up call or or realization for me. And to the point of like looking back and going, wow, I I can't believe I've been on this planet that long, not knowing this or not, not having this as a point of reference. I ultimately thought that there was just something wrong with me. Like, okay, there's something wrong or different or broken about you, you know, compared to the majority of what I see out there in the world. And it was just a huge relief. And was it for you learning about being a projector or what that meant as, you know, an interject type? Was it a similar thing or did it resonate? Uh, the not self projector resonate or the, or the, just the information? Just having an understanding that, you know, for me, it was like, I was trying to figure out why I couldn't do what everyone else was doing. I, I didn't have the energy the other people did, or I had a different type of focus, or I operated in a different way. And it was really human design as kind of the first thing I came across, you know, whether it was an esoteric system or a metaphysical system or a modern medical approach that said, there's actually nothing wrong with you fundamentally. You're just not living correctly or this is not, you're not designed to operate this way. And then that kicked off this deconditioning process that, you know, I'm obviously still working in, but it was just such a big thing just to even understand what that meant. The the fact that I had this different type that only 22% roughly of the population has. And 
it was kind of like a missing puzzle piece that just explained a lot that I hadn't been able to to understand or really work out elsewhere. Yeah, mine takes a little different, probably because of my background. And I know a lot of projectors suffer and, you know, gosh, I have enough friends that have gone through things. But for me, first of all, the energy thing was never an issue. I was in a lot of sports. I never thought I got tired, probably because, first of all, I have three motors. So that's one. And probably because I'm left angle, I'm always hanging out with people. So there was always some generator or MG or somebody hanging around with me. So hooking me up. So energy wise, gosh, I no, no, I mean, that I didn't even think was an issue. Maybe later, you know, as I got older, I would think like, wow, I'm a little tired now. But all the uh, pre, I would say pre-Saturn return ears were all amped up. <laughs> right? Basically being a manifester because it's very easy to hook me up to be a manifester. So when I'm looking back, you know, most of my horror stories are projected trying to be a manifester. Mainly like, you know, that affected relationships mainly, not intimate ones, but all relationships. Could I be too abrasive, too aggressive, just to go, go. And now looking back, it's like, oh my God, you know, it's so easy to see what happened. It was, it was really me being a super manifester is what it was. Uh, but far as having sort of the normal projected trauma, I think I, I always felt like you can talk to somebody one-on-one, you can pick stuff up very quickly. And I just thought, ah, everybody could do that. I, I didn't think it was anything, any big deal. And a lot of these projected traits before HD, I always took it for granted. Like, ah, oh, everybody can do that. Everybody probably sees that. <laughs> so I didn't think anything of it. But far as uh, am I different, I can't do that or whatnot. Part, I think some of that is my mom's conditioning. All I can remember telling me, ah, oh, you're great. You can do anything you want. You're the best. Perfect for one, right? <laughs> Perfect mom. So <laughs> she would just pump me up. There's like, you know, you can do anything you want. You know, you're amazing. You know, just all these positive stuff. And that's all I remember from her. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, very positive. You can do it. Uh, this kind of. Uh, very encouraging language. If anything, it was my dad that was like, ah, what are you talking about? You know, you can't do that. You know, just try to do this. Or he was always like trying to be very secure. Right. Mm-hmm. And my mom is the opposite. Like, ah, go do whatever you want, you know, be free and, and you can do it. You can handle it. And so that's kind of the background. So I think because of that, I always had that mentality. Like nobody could like put me down because I would always think like, ah, no, they're the stupid ones, not me. Just by conditioning through conditioning. It was. It never even came to any kind of a traumatic. If anything, I probably caused more trauma for other people, <laughs> you know, than for myself, right? Just by acting, acting like a manifester. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think I think looking back, it was really the. I, I can I can definitely see whether or not twelve facet characters would come out, like characteristics would come out. Yeah, and it, I think it also what you're saying kind of points to how different we can be even in with you know in the same type of all the variations of types of projectors you have a a motorized projector three motors versus like amy for example a mental projector there are these common themes or common patterns that we'll see across individuals of the same type but there's probably more differentiation than anything at you know as well and so yeah it's kind of interesting to hear your story and and how different it is as you know you're having a totally different design. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, even among, you know, I have two two boys, two sons, and they're both projectors. So it's been really interesting watching them. I mean, I sort of got into it. I mean, found 
human design when they were young. Yeah. My youngest one was only about three, I think. So I was able to put it to work right away. And, and it's, it's amazing to see because everything that we learn on the you know, technical side, you know, when you put the practical use, you can see it. It's true. Yeah. You know, how the kids are responding and how they're behaving. And I mean, one's a two, four. Uh, they're both emotional projectors, and one's a two four, and the other one's a six three. Very different, you know. Yeah. Um, I really love what you said about how whatever whatever recognition you found in this system, as well as in your your other spiritual practices or studies, that there's something in all of that that it sounds like deepened your sense of just trust in life, and you were mentioning that kind of freeing up a certain amount of headspace or bringing a certain amount of peace that you can just relax. There are certain things you don't have to be filled up trying to figure out or worried about or have inner conflict about once you have that kind of recognition, trust in life. And it also makes me think of, uh, as I was looking through your, some of your Facebook posts, it was just, it was so fun. I was just laughing out loud, you know, the, the whole time while I was looking through, which I think is probably the experience a lot of people have on your page and why they love it so much. But what I feel from you, even in this conversation is there's this kind of lightness about you and sort of humor about all of this. And I'm curious about where, where that comes from for you. Cause you, there's a lot of emotional definition in your design. There could certainly be a lot of emotional intensity, I imagine. And yet there's also just the way your frequency comes across, both on Facebook and in, in conversation. There's just such a lightness. Has that humor always been a part of your life? Or is that something that's deepened as you've gotten deeper into the joke of all of this? Or where, where does it come from? <laughs> well, I think the joke started early. Yeah. So uh, it's always been a part, I would say. Mm -hmm. You know, just probably how I grew up, you know, friends around and... It was never serious. Yeah, it's always been right. I don't even realize it as a something that's different or, or even that would stand out. It's, it's just just been a part of everything. Yeah, the likeness, I think, I, I understand. And a lot of the times I get accused of it. Like, you know, you're not serious enough. You're not, you got to be more serious about this and that. So there's two sides to it, you know, not being too serious and, you know, a little too uh, humorous or too light-handed about everything. It's, I think there's a balance and, you know, you have to find your practical balance that serves you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you have to be serious when you have to be. And I don't think you have to be silly all the time, but, you know, either you're serious when you have to be serious things mm -hmm. and yeah. the rest of the time you don't have to be, you know, and yeah. also depends on the environment. And yeah. But I, I, just, I think it's a natural thing. I, it might have to do with my, like in my astro chart, I have, I have a Venus, Mars, sex style so normally when you have that it's you know those characters kind of come it's very smooth and they're not they're kind of light they can uh you know get through a lot of stuff without fuss mm -hmm. <laughs> so it might be that, that that you know that's the only thing i can technically think of as far as the lightness goes yeah i sometimes associate it with a, a fifth line thing too i find that in myself there's a there's or part of the way that the heretic comes out of me is the fifth line is that when things when things get intense, there's just something in me that wants to kind of, I don't know, make a joke about it or get a little bit heretical when things get really heavy. 
Yeah, I mean, look, there's all kinds of survival mechanisms, right? <laughs> to keep us sane. <laughs> and I would say, hey, whatever works, as long as it's, it's working for you. Yeah. No, what I have is a is a Mercury Venus conjunction. So mm-hmm. that's what really helps get through the conversations without a whole lot of fuss, I think. Mm-hmm. And and keep it light at the same time, right? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. You said something about the space, about the emptiness. Yeah, I think just about the space that you were mentioning, being able to have, and and maybe also a relaxation that comes when when you have a certain trust in life. You know, I think that's the gift. You know, I think all of this human design business and all of this, if that's not the end goal, I don't know what is. Yeah, yeah. Really, it, what else could it be possibly? I, I just can't imagine. Mm-hmm. I think that's, the, at least it's the beginning of that, whatever the, the gift is of being able to be in that state mm-hmm. without having to try to be in that state. Yeah. You know what I mean? You don't have to do anchor yourself. You don't have to do any kind of meditations or music or relaxation tapes. It's just there. You resonate at that level that's your base frequencies but the thing is it's something that just happens because i was really watching after the whole ashram experience and everything i'm very attuned to the internal state Mm -hmm. and you know and you realize well it's not something you can control but it gets there through that trust through the process that's part of the deconditioning and you know having that awareness so that's the thing awareness comes in and takes up that space that used to be used for idling idle thoughts and idle considerations so then it's like wow you know there's nothing really to do and i know it sounds crazy when you say that i hear other people say it, and then i'm like yeah yeah i know exactly what you mean but i don't think anybody else is going to relate to that directly because you have to kind of have to kind of be there and you hear these you know some of these gurus talking about quiet mind and peace and whatnot and how you can get there so that's the thing. I don't think you can get there. I think you follow your process and it just happens somewhere down the road because you have no choice in that. And it doesn't matter if you're standing on your head or eating vegan or, you know, whatever, whatever you're trying to do to, to sort of pave the way. I don't think it matters. What matters is that you clear up all the conditioning and you're aligned with your form and you're allowing the form to be you know, without trying to manipulate it or trying to write it. And at that point, you you know, you fall into your base frequency, which is sort of that peaceful observation sort of level. I would say that's the best thing. I was just thinking the other day, like that has to be the best thing. Looking back, right? Maybe there are better things in the future. Who knows? But looking back, it's it's the best thing so far. It's actually bringing up something interesting for me that I've been looking at lately, and it's related to astrology. You'd mentioned your birth chart earlier. I believe your son is in gate 23. That's Taurus, right? That's right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right. So there's this idea or thing I've been kind of looking at, which is that certain quality of Taurus, which you could almost consider Taoist in nature, this resonance with or alignment with the natural rhythms of of life or the earth, um, you know, as an earth sign. And Taurians are often talked about as being slow or, or something. And, and I don't I don't know that it's actually that. I think it's more that there's an attunement 
and kind of a receptivity there to the natural rhythms and order of things. And I wanted to ask you about that, both in terms of your own experience, but also looking out in the world and, and seeing some of the extremes in the world at this time and how to come back to a more natural balance of things. Do you have a sense of kind of where I'm going with this or? I don't know. I might, <laughs> maybe well, not. I'll say a few more things. So uh, go ahead. it's almost like human design is if you were to associate it with, with an older philosophy, it would be probably closest to Taoism from my point of view and just the natural order, timing, rhythm of, of things, uh, the diversity of life. But then when you look out into the world, I see people who just want more. We're going to a lot of what what appear to me kind of extremes that are out of the natural order of things. People wanting more money or wanting more than they actually need or thinking like, you know, the projector signature of success of, well, that means I'm going to get rich or something or people want to get rich. And I think more and more, it's, it's really just about having what you need and having enough and that in itself kind of keeps things in a more natural balance or order so what comes up for you when when you hear that well that's exactly right i think that's that's correct and the way i see that being correct is well the taoist you know wu wei is basically effortless action right Mm -hmm. and once you're aligned and you're correct in your actions it's effortless so I think it's the same thing. It's the way you ground it and you fall right into effortless action without really having to try. So that being said, I, all the running around for material gain, well, it's the cycle we're in and the not-self world. So, yeah, we're going to run around and looking for material things and security. I think that's normal. I think that is natural. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. that is a natural thing because anything outside of that wouldn't be because everybody else will have to adapt to some pre-designed uh, sort of a uh, ideal. So all the things we're manifesting and all of these other things is because of lack of understanding of the self. You know, and, and Rock talked about this a lot about, you know, you have to know your place first. You know, you have to know your place. Once you understand your place, you're fine with whatever you're getting because you know that's your place and it's your life. You get what you get. And getting is not even an issue because you're too busy looking at life because, because now you can actually see. So, you know, that combination has to sort of dial in sort of like a, you know, fine tuning, you know, all of those factors have to be there and they all kind of sort of come in together and then everything is okay. And until you can dial that in, you know, insecurities are there, security issues are there. What about the future? What about the past? Am I going to have enough, you know, the regular normal things, and then you get the pressure, condition pressure to make more, do more, you know, have more. And so, yeah, then you end up back in the rat race, which, you know, we've made that to be the norm now. So that's the normal. Yeah, right. We have to understand we're like less than 1%, really, the people that are studying, at least in the experiment. So I think the, thing, the way to get around all of that would be just to be correct and get deconditioned and sort of get aligned with your own self and see where life takes you. And that's where the appreciation should be, you know, because we don't know. I think it's amazing the places you can you could go that you never even imagine and the people you'll meet that you never would have even dreamt of. That's another thing that happened. You know, I ended up meeting people and, and being friends with people and, and 
before human design, I would, you know, always judge like, ah, what kind of character is this? You know, does he have this? Does he have that? Is he like that? Is he intelligent? I think everybody does has sort of a checklist, you know, but all of that sort of fell away. And, you know, friends of friends, you know, those who resonate, resonate and the others don't. And the ones that do, oh my God, the stuff they bring to you, they tell you, they share with you. I think that's a whole, you know, that's a whole nother department, but <laughs> universe talks to you through your fractal and fractal could be your gardener, you know, the guy that you buy the vegetables from and they'll just, or your friends you hang out with that you wouldn't have in your past life, so to speak. And they'll tell you things. And if you really are paying attention in something they say, it would help you with something else later down the road. So there's these messengers all over the place. So this is why you have to be in the right place. You know, everybody's like, ah, oh, where are my people? Where are my friends? You know, there's no support. Well, you're not in the right place. Support is everywhere. They're lined up just like on a marathon. You know, they're all over there with glasses. But you got to be on the right track. If you're running like one block away from the marathon, you're missing the whole thing. <laughs> so that's the that's what I feel. That's what I've seen. Mm-hmm. And not just in my life, but other people that are sort of been in the experiment and, and really trying to follow through their form, right? And through their mind. Yeah. And even my kids, they, you know, it, it's, it's crazy how simple it can be. If you just trust it, you know, trust the place you're going to be in. It's okay. Yeah. There's only a few things you can do that you have some control over. And one of those is just being able to trust. Say it's okay. Let me just do it one time. You can do it, <laughs> and then you do it one more time. So there has to be some inspiration, obviously, mm-hmm. to do this. That's why I really, you know, I said, look, look, you know, if you're gonna get this, it's luck. And in the old days, you know, like in in terms of enlightenment, they used to say, well, it's grace. You, know, you can do everything, but there has to be God's grace. Otherwise, you're not. So you know, I think when Ra said luck, it's pretty much the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, without grace. You're not going to get there. It doesn't matter. You can dig tunnels. You can do whatever you want to do. And I don't know what the magic thing is. You know, it's a mutative. It's a mutative action. So you hope something happens, <laughs> but but there are no guarantees. But I think there is, if you really trust. I mean, and I mean trust is, life can take you all the way to the edge and even push you a little bit, and maybe even let you fall a little, but then catch you, and you still have to be able to trust. I've been in those places, so and that's and I have an open spleen, so I can tell you, you know, this whole thing about fear of life, you know, of things happening or not having enough or this or that. These kinds of things always, you know, they haunt all open spleen people. So, so being able to get pushed into that, so the abyss of that open spleen, and say, you know, what, this is okay. Now, once you can do that, you're free, man. I'm, you know, at least for myself, because that was my big area was not self area was was explained that kept a lot of that tightness you know mm. a lot of that fear was there everything else was okay mm-hmm. it's just this little splenic thing that you can't really understand but it kind of triggers all kinds of things and spleen has a connection to the mind so you know it's a little it's a tricky little circuit mm-hmm. so once you can sort of face it and understand like hey it's okay this is not threatening it's not threatening it's okay mm-hmm. And, and once you, that clicks in, you're okay. Then I think, then you can trust without, you can't go any further than that, right? That's the furthest you can push the fear to see if there's anything wrong. So after that, you pull back and it's okay. Stop me anytime. <laughs> We've got quite a 
uh, We've got a crazy uh, thunderstorm. Can you hear it? <laughs> yeah, I can. I, yeah, I can hear it's, it. It's it's massive. It's like rattling the, the yeah. house right now. I, I guess we'll which is great because normally you know it's it's rainy season here, so normally we get that in the afternoon. But today is nice and sunny, and <laughs> and, and it's very nice afternoon. It's uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I can see the yeah. I can hear it. Open Swain. It's you know I, I have an open Swain. Amy's got an open Swain. My understanding of the process of the open spleen is that it's learning through experience, it's learning through seeing, exchange with the world, it's kind of this adaptive immune system and learning what's actually a valid concern, a valid fear. And when you look out into the world now, you know, either whether on social media or the, the media or what we're seeing out in the world, I'm seeing more fear than I've ever seen in my entire life. It feels like one of the biggest conditioning influences that's coming in or the homogenizing influences is around fear and survival and, and well-being. And would you mind just sharing your point of view on that in terms of what you're seeing through that open spleen right now, having gone through a deconditioning process around that? Fear's been around forever. And it's just, you know, our ability to drum it up mm -hmm. and with mass media and all these connections we have now it's easy to just drum up fear on at a, at a click and sort of like when we saw 9-11 and the buildings fall right and the whole wave went through the planet or at least the u.s and you can feel it so i just think we're more more exposed to things that trigger fear because everybody has a cell phone everybody's looking at this and that in the videos and here in the news and and those that are not connected are just fine. You know, they're not that, you know, I have friends that are not connected and there are friends that are connected watching this and that in world events and people that are not connected. They couldn't, they're just, you know, completely clueless and they're going about their life just great. And especially here, you know, I have a lot of friends here that are doing their own thing and they have no fear of anything, not even having any idea what's happening. Again, it's a matter of how are you being informed and, and you know, how are you being hmm. told about this? Given the not safe world, I don't think it's a big surprise, you know. Because yeah. what what else do we have for a fallback? Love, <laughs> you know. It's always fear, so and anger and and you know all of the not self themes are there, just to be pushed at a, you know, like a buttons. And I think the research into psychology has. You know, we've gone so far. We know everything: how to trigger people and how not to, how to subtly do it. And I think we've, to some degree, weaponized it. We've been using it all over the place forever, and now it's just sort of the norm. So again, rise right on the money here. Unless you can make a decision as yourself, forget about it. Where are you going to look around? Where are you going to find it on Facebook? <laughs> it's, it's, so he was right, and I just can't, you know, that's another one of those gems. You better get on this now, because he said it's not going to get any better. Yeah, it's gonna, he said they're going to be come to a point. People are just going to run around, period, not knowing anything, what to do. Yeah. So I believe that. I think that's true, and we kind of see that now. So those who can sort of get aligned and make decisions correctly for themselves, you know, will end up in the right places with the right people, hopefully, and and they'll have their life. You will all, you know, we'll all have our lives. It's just depends is it going to be the correct one <laughs> yeah yeah you know as yourself versus the the one the mind wants you to play around with 
So that's the choice, you know, we've had that choice forever. You know, you've got introduced to human design. Well, what are you going to do? You have a choice. Either you can test it out and see if it makes sense or not. And that's, again, is grace. So we'll see. <laughs> you kind of started to mention it, and I, I'm curious about this piece you're talking about just about psychology and the human design perspective on emotions and emotional energy is so profound. I'm curious about your experience as an emotional being, and you mentioned having emotional sons. What is the human design lens on emotions brought to you, or how did that, did, did it shift how, how you were experiencing yourself emotionally and then and how you see your children? Well, this is another one of those, I'm outside the norm a little bit, because I don't know if you guys, well, you guys probably saw it. I have two channels running into my solar plex from the root. Mm -hmm. So when you have two channels running, it normally stabilizes the emotional wave. It's not so spastic, or it doesn't have the extremes. So I didn't know that until I learned about it. So when I first started learning human design, I hear all these emotional people and emotional wave and up and down. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Because I'm just about as flat as you can be emotionally, really. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, it's just super, anybody that knows me will tell you, it's just super flat. Yeah, I can be light and laugh and whatnot, but it's very flat as far as the amplitude of the experience goes, internally anyway, you know, the, the external exposing of it, right? The amplitude of it is pretty flat. But I see more of the amplitude in people, obviously people that are open, but just with one channel, at least from the root. So one of, one of my children has both and another one only has one. So no, they're all pretty, pretty tame. I mean, super, you know, very quiet and uh, pretty, pretty much of a flat line. Although the 6-3 is a little bit more on the emotional side and more expressive, I would say and also more artistic and he's more into sculpture and drawing and all these other kinds of artsy things, creative things. I would say he's the one that's more expressive in the emotional sense of the fact, you know, anybody here. I haven't had a lot of exposure. All my exposure to emotions come from the outside, the other, you know, either a partner or friends and partners have always been unhinged emotionally. So that's been really educational i think you just attract you know if you're just sort of flatlining you're going to attract the opposite which is complete peaking out the amplitude of emotional expression so you get the complete the wild side but you hold the you know you're like the stable one so you have to kind of be the oak tree and kind of say okay well you know let everything blow around and so after a while it's more entertaining than anything else you know to me it's like wow look at this so it's never been a big threat I don't have an involvement. I don't, I don't get, I don't get weaved into that. I don't get pulled into emotional anything really, but because I can sit there and watch it and just be you know, amazed by it. And it is kind of amazing to me, probably because I can't get there. You know? Not like I can't feel, I'm not talking about depth of feeling. I'm talking about depth of expression of emotions. Right. And I'm talking about the close to the unhinged level, either way, <laughs> the upside or the downside. Yeah. So does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And it's I think it's a it's a great perspective because there's 
there is a lot of information about the, out there about the emotional process being extreme in some way or, or highly intense. And I can relate what you're saying to some, I'm thinking now of some other emotionally defined people I know and that there, there can be a certain stability mm-hmm. just in being able to process emotional energy that comes with emotional definition. And so it's not always about, it's not always necessarily about expressing some kind of extreme or or highly intense emotionality. Yeah, and and this bit that you mentioned about having two channels from the root to the solar plexus is a a stabilizing factor is really interesting to me. I'm not sure that I had ever really heard it put that way, but thinking about it, it, it does make a type of sense. So it's very interesting to hear you one mention it and then two say that it fits with your experience ah totally it, it's actually it surprised me at first like wait why am i not like that why am i not like the definitions mm-hmm. you know or the typical descriptions of it and and once i understood it it makes complete sense yeah and it's also for me it's it, i can look at emotions and and be able to verbalize you know break down the process then where people just experience it and without being able to explain it. Like my younger son can experience amazing depths of everything, I think, but he's unable to express it in, in language. So with the experience, which is really how it should be, where I can actually sort of get to breaking it down and, and try to get that emotional experience into some, give it some kind of a description, right? That's worthy of it, which is not easy. <laughs> yeah. And, and there are people that can do that really well, you know, some of these, you know, 55s and and I have a couple, some friends with, you know, very individual definitions that, that can, gosh, man, you know, they can just reach in there and, and levels of emotional depth that, you know, I shudder at. <laughs> I just can't even sort of get my toe into it. So I think that area is really amazing, you know, the depth you can go and reach and still hold together and bring it back out and express it and explain what they see. You know, it's sort of like exploring deep space where you go into these areas and be able to express it and not just get lost or get lost in the narrative or you know, lose it, right? Lose the thread, but just to write it, write it perfectly where it's supposed to go and be able to talk about it. So you must, you must find yourself in the position of, or, or do you, of kind of introducing or sharing human design with people around you or as you're, as you're encountering people or you define that you have that experience of kind of bringing it to them if they're open to it? Well, in the early days, yes. <laughs> That's a comment. Probably the, <laughs> probably the first, I mean, the first year, first four or five years, I think I was very interested in telling people or at least hinting and bringing it in, you know, all this. Mm-hmm. And I was still under the illusion that, you know, everybody wanted to hear about it. So then later I found, you know, I don't have to say anything because people ask you if it's correct for them. If, if the connection's correct, they'll ask and it'll, it'll happen. Wow. So as soon as I understood that, I forgot about him. And actually, you know, we talked about, well, what about the unplugged life? You know, I hardly think about human design or talk to anybody about it unless the topic comes up from that side, the other side, the other. So I would say after the first five years or so, I just really pulled back on purpose not to even bring it up. And then it kind of automatically took its rightful place, which is 
just forget about it <laughs> and just talk to people, you know, just be in the, your own correctness and then the right people come up and the people, or they'll recommend somebody or somebody will bring a friend and say, can you, or call and say, can you get this person reading or can you check their chart? And then I would talk about it and get right into it, you know, deep as they want. But no, I, I stopped talking to people about it. I, even my kids, you know, it's just like they all know what they have to know and that's it. Well, for them, it's not that I don't have to talk because it's in the aura. So, you know, they pick up stuff yeah. without having to really give lectures on it. Now I understand that, like, you know, it's not proper to go pushing this stuff. Mm -hmm. It's proper when the stuff makes it all come together, right? Because I'm not in control of that. And when you're operating in a grounded way, all that just happens. Right people show up, right people want to know. And the people that come are really actually interested. You know, they're passionate about it and they're blown away and changes their life right away. Yeah. It's not like you have to keep calling, hey, how's it going? Did you read that book? And did you get that? <laughs> there's no, no follow-ups necessary, right? It's just all just roles, effortless. Yes. So I like that. You know, once I sort of, got that and let it sort of happen it's like hey this is how it should be that's not my business that person's not business so you know it, it's a lot about you know being a projector and especially fifth line you know, a lot of this is about just watching well what you'll see is a bunch of train wrecks about to happen always right but you can't do anything about it you're just sitting there watching well okay train wrecks have to happen yeah and sometimes if they ask you can say something uh if they don't you know, you just have to sit and shake your head and say, "Well, oh, there it happened." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it just—it's just so normal now. It's—it's. I mean, it, it's so normal. It, it doesn't—it doesn't even sort of stand out. But that's really a lot of what we have to do once you're not, you know, out there forcing anything or trying to make something happen or trying to push human design. You just sit back and, you know, all you can do is just sit and watch and see what's happening. Mm -hmm. And you see all of these mechanics in play. And it's like a theater, right? It's like 360 degree theater. You just theater all around. There's nothing you can do other than watch. And sometimes they'll come and talk to you and you talk back. Rest of the time, you just watch. You hardly need movies. Right? <laughs> Truly. <laughs> Truly. Especially these days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, it takes longer. It takes months, weeks, months, years for these outside things to happen that you're watching the mechanics you know some are train wrecks not all of them are some are good things so you see all of these sort of as a projector you see these things happening or unfolding and you kind of see the end results and you can you know you can help them but you can't and i think that's the correct way to go we just have to sit and watch and well it becomes it's, you get used to it but that was one of the hardest things for me to get used to to watch what you know bad is going to happen to somebody and not say anything. Yes. Man, that was tough. Yeah. Super tough. At least I would like a hint something or drop a little hint here, <laughs> you know, tell a story that would relate to what, you know, they're about to hit. Uh, you know, at the end you realize you can't, you just can't do any of that. Yeah. I think sometimes as a projector and also as a fifth line, at least in my experience, and fifth color and fifth color, which I share with you, that there's a, I guess I would describe it as, I used to feel like if I was aware of something that I was responsible for it, or I was responsible for doing something about it. That experience for me feels a little bit like 
what you're describing. And then it was such a shift and a liberation. Um, and still is when I can notice, oh, I'm, I'm seeing this and I can see what's coming and I can see what could be done about it. And yet, if there's no entry point for me, there's really nothing to do, you know, but watch. Yeah, and a lot of the times it's for their own benefit, the fact that you're not jumping in. Yes. So what I see is, you know, they go through their process, whatever, however it turns out, good or bad, then they end up putting a Band-Aid on the bruise and they get up and they go, oh, you know what, I'm not going to do that again. Or So they come to their own little realizations and, yeah. and, and move on. Yeah. So, ah, what to do? uh, but it's one of the deepest conditioning factors though that this idea of trying to save people help people yes you know uh, and with the buddhist background for me it was like to me that was normal to help and to think of like wow i just should just sit here and not do anything (laughs) not that i didn't try in the early years right you try and you see like nobody pays attention they don't care even if it happens so it's like okay i'll just watch and, and well, it's not even that now. It's more of it's just how life is. I guess being more evangelical about human design or something you find early on, and and then kind of realizing that's not really the way it works, or it's not really helping the person, or you know that that's not the correct role, or or anything like that. It, it reminds me a bit of you know introducing someone to say plant medicine for example pushing that in any way knowing that it may result in their life turning upside down or falling apart or a train wreck of sorts and if the person is not coming to that on their own or asking for it or it's not the right time for them then it almost seems like a disservice or it's you know it it's just not not right and it probably won't even really work work the way like you know you had described where everything just kind of clicks into place and flows and it's easy and you know there's no effort exactly i think that's exactly how it is mm-hmm. and it, it's it's the natural way yeah and i think we're just in a habit of trying to manipulate everything <laughs> or conditioned to do so Mm-hmm. And, and getting our hands off of the knobs, you know, and, and just letting the thing go. Mm-hmm. Unless you're invited into that, asked. Well, yeah, then you then you do what you can and everything works better, obviously, right? All the projecting channels, everything works better and, and the right information comes out. So there's a lot of background other than, oh, I'm just watching or not wanting to help just because. Because if, when it's correct, it's actually correct at the very deep level, even the information is different. And um, so, yeah, it's another one of those goodies. <laughs> I love what comes through your frequency. It's It's been really cool to sit here with you and just the way you've been talking about the magic and the trust and the, this, I can really feel it coming through you, this sense that there really isn't that much for us to do. And when there is, if we're paying attention, we'll know and it'll just happen that we can trust in the timing, we can trust in the right players, we can relax, listen to our bodies, laugh a little bit, take it easy. (laughs) You know, it might all be okay. And in the meantime, watch everything that's happening and be uh, amused or amazed by it. 
I can feel that coming through you. It's it's really it's a it's a really cool frequency to get to experience. Oh, thanks. It, it's been good. It's it's good. It's been good talking to you guys too. Yeah. And you know about this doing. What did you say? Oh, about this not doing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard to know someone's internal process. You know, there are lots of you know, there's all kinds of variety of people out there. So I'm not sure if everyone. If that's their proper place, you know, yeah. I don't think there is a proper place that we can define, so to speak, because, you know, who knows? The variety is too big. There's too much variability. So and who knows what the future brings in another 10 years? We, we don't know what the process will take. Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking forward to see that to not make it that some kind of an end goal. You know, that's another thing. Like, that's not something I thought about. And it's not about me. I'm just, I think it's generally for everyone. It's not something... You know, when you enter the exper- uh, experiment, you can't have a predefined goal of what you're expecting out of the experiment. Because that's why it's an experiment. Right? You're trying to see where it will take you. Yeah. And a lot of the times we have these predefined ideas. You know, my gate is this or my cross is that. So I better you know, embody that. And how can I embody it? And a lot of these new people come in and, you know, they totally identify with the gate or a channel or cross. And then ah, my so-and-so did that, and my this gate wanted to do that. And and I'm not sure if that's the healthy narrative, because where is that going to take you? Because you're more and more identifying with the gates and the lines and the channels and the crosses, and there's nobody there to peel you away from that. And I somehow never got into that identification with the chart, other than to know, hey, what's the deal here? You know, what's the, what's, what are the mechanics here? And I never got into personalizing it or personally identifying with it. What I identified was with the mechanics of the chart, not the characteristics. And I'm just thinking this now, actually, while I'm talking. That's probably why I never, because I, when I hear people saying, ah, oh, my, you know, my this and my gate, and, and they give a reason from the chart to their behavior or their characteristic or their, how they came to some conclusion or some idea. And I can never identify with that, or I can resonate with that. I'm like, wow, why, how come I don't do that? But I never thought much into that, but now, that we're talking about it. I'm thinking that's probably not a good idea just in the long run. If you start identifying with all the parts, characteristics, how the heck are you going to ever leave it all behind to where life takes you? Mm-hmm. That's just a static shot of the mechanics. It's not your potential. Yes. Right? So we have people sort of embracing gene keys because that's the sort of the higher end of things in terms of uh, defining some of these characteristics. Then we have people embracing the left other side and this side. The thing is to just look at the mechanics and just leave it alone and focus on your process, see where the mechanics will take you. So that's the mechanical side that's going to carry you. Mm-hmm. And if you start identifying with the car, you're going to miss where, the, you know, where you're going to be and who you're meeting. And it's, I, th- I think it's a big issue. I think it's a yes. weakness. And I think that should be corrected or somebody should be lecturing about it. (laughs) It's such a great point that you're making. And it's been kind of incredible to me to see just how much information people are absorbing from the very beginning, as soon as they come in contact with human design and kind of doing exactly what you're talking about. I feel like when I first got into it, I don't know if there, I mean, I think there wasn't as much access to as much information, but I, I was also not inclined to or had the space and time to really dive into it that way. So 
I feel like all I had was the kind of the simple basics, like the mechanics that you're talking about. And now looking back, I'm kind of grateful if I had been in a different time or space in my life, I think it could have been a much more mental detailed process or or attempt to match myself to the map and I agree I think it's one of the biggest one of the biggest pitfalls in a way or things that can really interfere with the magic exactly and it's like what they say used to say you know what they say uh, like the golden handcuffs yeah it's golden but it'll it'll cuff you into one place and how are you going to move out of that and a lot of people coming into human design from astrology they have astrology background or they they know their charts so astrology you know there's a lot of identification right oh i'm taurus i'm this my degree's that my ascendant's that so a lot of this me 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 so if you carry that to i can see easily you know you get into human design it's like oh this is me 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 so that identification just continues to stay there at some point that has to sort of decouple i think i think that should be part of the courses or you know people lectures and it needs to be out, out a topic that's out i think and people should talk about it because nobody really brings it up because you don't want to hurt the other person i don't want to it's very difficult to bring it up and say hey, you know you shouldn't be talking like that you know <laughs> you just can't bring it up in a casual conversation so if there was some official conversation about it it probably be healthier and it'll probably cut down the time they spend in this sort of the runaway area of the experiment being identified with these things because you know once your mind believes something you have a belief system you only see things that fit the belief yes uh, so if you if you think oh i'm gate 23 and i'm supposed to see these things well guess what you're not going to see anything else yeah you're just going to see those things your brain automatically fixes the filters and boom that's what you're seeing you're missing everything so this is goes back to when you let it all go and just sit there and watch it you know rock talks about seeing and you're not looking, right? So if you're identifying, you're always looking, mm-hmm. right? Identification leads to look, you know, actually looking for that. Otherwise, you would need to identify. So if you don't identify, well, then you can slowly go into seeing, which is far greater than that narrow little identification or definition you labeled yourself with. Yes. And boy, you know, I see this, you know, like on Facebook, right? We see all the time. And it's so innocent you don't want to get in there and plus it's not my job but but you don't want to get in there and say anything and but nobody else does either and it just continues and i'm thinking wow look at these it's like ships crossing in the dark you know they, they're so close to like sort of getting it but then there's one little uh, hook over here just holding them to their identification with this or that or the cross or the line or the color mm-hmm. and that could spin you around and keep you there for years and and not know that mm-hmm. there's a lot of little thorns like that in human design where if you're really not watching you get hooked into that and you might never know right yeah the conditioning forces are strong and they're not working for you (laughs) so yes and the natural mental manipulation that can come up for all of us is Ah, the whole thing right really strong Yeah, yeah really strong i can understand why ross said you know Things like don't don't look at your cross for seven years. Like don't even look at exactly. it. <laughs> don't go there. You know mm-hmm. it's gonna it's going to happen if you just relax into the mechanics and be in the process of being you know aware moment by moment in your own lived life. 
it's all going to happen. So well, that's the ride, right? The, the ride, ride is that that discovery of that self. Yeah. So if you're already labeling yourself, how the hell are you going to discover anything? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you already think you have it, right? And you don't. Yes. So it's a, you know it's a difficult thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and so there is not funny, right? That's serious. <laughs> <laughs> serious. It actually is funny because I'm going to do the thing we're not to do right now. And, and I'm going to say that what's coming through right now with my open head and Ajna from two 43-23 fifth line profiles is a heretical view. I think that what you are both speaking to is this frequency or resonance of individual knowing that goes beyond the, the mind identifications and then becomes more of a, an, an experience, I guess. I think with each of your definitions, there's this kind of sense of like, do I just resonate with or do I, is it the truth or not? There's something to that 4323 that I think- Of course really it's the truth. <laughs> <laughs> That just brings it right through in this kind of, again, heretical way. And, and it's based on that, that seeing and that looking, like you guys are saying. So anyway, I'm just having fun watching y'all go back and forth on it. Yeah, but, you know, but these things are easy to decipher. You can just you know, dissect it and see, well, can it be true? Yeah. From, you know, everything we already know. So we know that it's impossible to be identified at the same time trying to be liberated in some way. So you can't drag all those anchors and, and unless you cut those ties, labels and identifications, how are you gonna move? Especially being a passenger, right? Yeah. Yes. You're being carried around. <laughs> the whole point there was about, especially new people, but I see you know, a lot of people identifying with the, you know, the gates and channels, which you can, it's not a hard thing to do, obviously, because that's in your definition, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But it's not you. <laughs> Anyway, I don't know how that came up, but that's, I think it's something that's happening. I don't think it's a good idea, good thing that's happening. And I think it's a good thing to address and talk about and get it out in the open. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we don't have a whole lot of people sort of nailed down to these old, old tricks, yeah. tricks of the mind, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate you saying it. I think it's, it is really important and helpful. And it also speaks to that sense of, kind of being I, I remember being in my early 20s and in Hawaii and I, I went on some kind of pilgrimage to find this Buddhist monastery and I then I found it and I, I walked in and you know at, at that age I didn't have a whole lot of awareness about what kind of state I was in but I, I walked into this temple and this monk walks in he looks at me and he was like I said is it okay for me to be here and and he said yeah it's fine and then he started to walk away and then he looked at me he's like just, just try to relax, okay? <laughs> you know, we didn't have any any exchange at all. It was literally, you know, 30 seconds of him being in my aura. And he's like, just, just try to calm down, okay? <laughs> you know? like, and I think sometimes that's the way it is with stuff like this. It's like, actually, like, you, you, we could let go of the grip about, like, 99% and it's all going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. Again, that's one of those things you don't have to pressure yourself to do. Right. You don't have to throttle it. It just happens. Sometimes you have to, you know, do certain things uh, that might appear to be not self or whatever, but that's part of life too. So it's not like you some, live some life of purity. You live your life. 
And on the average, you want to get on that moving average. That's correct, right? You want to move along that, on the average, the correct path. But yeah, we're going to go up and down and do this and that and get into all kinds of crazy. But again, you correct yourself naturally and you come back to the, to the median line. Really cool. Well, thank you. Thanks so much for talking with us. It's really, oh, thank you. really cool to get to hear, just hear your voice and feel your frequency after getting to enjoy what you create out there and seeing how much people enjoy it. I'm glad people will get to, we, we know several people too who are, who are very excited to get to hear you speak. So thank you for being with us. Well, thank you. And, and we can do it again. <laughs> we, we'd love to. We'd love that. <laughs> yes, so, for sure. Well, uh, until next time then. All right. You guys have a good weekend. Okay. Thanks so much. Thank you. Uh, take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Human Design Collective podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please review us and share. For more information about us and to connect with others on this experimental journey, please visit us at humandesigncollective.com. You can also learn more by exploring our course and workshop offerings at courses.humandesigncollective.com. Music for the Human Design Collective podcast, courtesy of Role Model. For more information, see the show notes. And please stay tuned for more upcoming episodes on the same channel.